Hey. So here we are on Tuesday evening, the 20th. Two days away, two days away from the first day of fall. And I always get that wrong uh, last couple of years. I was convinced that my brother's, uh, my brother's birthday, the 21st, was the first day of fall. I thought it was the equinox. So I've been screwing up lately. So we have 48 more hours left of summer over here. And it kind of felt like a summer day today. At least in the sun it did. I'm all right with it. We have a great show lined up tonight, but it's just you and I. Here in the studio, really interesting things going on elsewhere. I've got headlines, important headlines. Important headlines to do, and then a little bit of history I wanted to do tonight. Based on that really incredible, inspired by Don Lemon's latest attempt to suggest that reparations be paid to fix unpleasant chapters in history that people like him, he has been uh, trained to obsess over. Progress be damned. So we have so much more to do than that. I would love to do jump into the reoccurring dream repository in the second half of the show. I'm also going to ask you what your theories that you have heard, or your personal theories, what have you heard about this magical September 24th rapture date? Whenever I get a rapture date, I don't really feel... Uh, confident about anything, but I asked that of the Discord audience, and I got a bunch of fun things back in return. So maybe we'll go into that just a little bit, but there's so much more, so much more, and I hope that you are ready for a nice walk through the park with me, and I hope that you are toking on some secret nature, CBD, pre-rolls, the oils, the tinctures, getting ready for bed, whatever it is right now, high in CBD, low in THC, it means all the benefits of full-spectrum cannabinoids and terpenes. Those are the very sweet-smelling fragrances that come from your uh, your bud. And all without the stoner vibe. Couch locks. You know, you're still very functional and everything's fine and just no high. So you relax, you focus, you calm your nervous system, you listen to Quite Frankly, or you go and you have some... Uh, workouts afterwards. You do Tai Chi with Rob at KungFuChannel.com. And go ahead. Partake in some of the greatest products that could have been produced over the last 20 years of cultivation, breeding, and retail product development. SecretNatureCBD.com. Use promo code FRANKLY for 20% off. Tomorrow, I sent in all the confirmation uh, information over to G. Edward Griffin. As of right now, I have no reason to believe that we are not on for tomorrow. I've got great questions, ideas for questions. Um, with uh, with him, I'm, I'm just going to have a few really strong ones and a couple in the chamber because I, um, I honestly, this man carries with him decades of a wonderful work and uh, lecturing and just research and teaching. So there's really nothing I, I, I feel like. I'm not going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting, that's for damn sure. But we'll see what happens. I'm sure everybody's going to have a great time with that. It'll be another one of those major feathers in the cap of the show. I'd love to have him back, but even just to have the one night 
with him on as a guest is a tremendous honor. So let's see how that all goes. And then on uh, Thursday, I was thinking we might do a little, uh, this thread that I had found a while back on uh, the Nazi rocket, the V2 rocket program and all the occult, um, all the occult ritual aspects behind the bombing of London and all that. I just want to try to find really fun stuff to do on Thursday night. So we'll just pick things along there. And we'll see what happens for Friday and then into next week when we start off with Rich Barris. It's the 26th. It's a Monday. So we're going to get Rich Barris on there. Rich is also going to come on Monday the 24th of October. And then November 7th, the day before Election Day. So we're going to have him on October 24th, then the day before Election Day. And I'm, I'm, I told Laura who does a lot of his booking and all that behind the scenes. Anything that I can get with him, I know the day after election day and election night, he's probably going to be so high in demand. But if I can get a 10 to 15 minute post-mortem with him the day after, that would be tremendous. So we're going to get a great election day primer in on the 7th of November. And there you have it. There's so much more going on. Rob, Robin McCutcheon is coming back, Professor Robin McCutcheon. She's going to be talking financial reset on October 12th. Corey Daniel is going to be on with us Friday, October 14th. The Saturday night show here in the studio in October is going to be on the 15th. That night, you show up at 10 o'clock, we're going to be watching Spookies, the horror, the horror film uh, from 1985, 86. I was about... I was in the womb when it was being shot at the John Jay Estate in Rye, New York. But we're watching Spookies on air with my father in studio, so we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to make fun of it with him, and he'll be able to point out all the uh, all the things that were going on, you know, behind the scenes, all that shit. It's gonna be that'll be a great great night. So uh, make sure you get popcorn for that night. You pop it, and we're gonna have a good time. I don't know if you're going to enjoy it as much as you would, like as far as soaking in the actual plot uh, as you would on your own, but it'll definitely be an experience with us talking over it and just, whatever, just, it's a special experience. And I think that's all we have here. So let's jump into the grab bag because it's going to be one hell of a night. And I'm going to try to keep up to date with the Yankee game as they host the Pittsburgh Pirates in Yankee Stadium for two nights and then they have four more home games after that so they have six games for Aaron Judge to tie Babe Ruth with one home run to tie Roger Maris with a second home run and to surpass it all can he do it oh I think he's going to smash it unless he gets hurt which God forbid because he's really just I'm, I'm really happy for him really happy for that guy couldn't have happened to a nicer guy I don't know him personally, but I just got a feeling. And my feelings are never never wrong about athletes. <laughs> so so there's that. History is being made, something that we all would have been gathered around the television for, like when Cal Ripken Jr. broke Lou Gehrig's record. Uh, my The night that Cal Ripken Jr. broke Lou Gehrig's, uh, Lou Gehrig's um, consecutive games record, I was punished. I had done something to anger my mother. And she uh, she sent me to my room, and I wasn't allowed to leave the room. And I remember begging through the door, please, just please let me watch the fifth inning, please. And she let me out for the fifth inning so I can see it become an official game. 
Uh, so thank, thanks, Mom, for that. That was they're very kind of you. Um, what else did I? What else did I have for you? That's really it. Okay, into the grab bag we go. First one up is from Just the News, John Solomon's paper or outlet. FBI whistleblower alleges January 6 cases are manipulated to create the illusion of a national crisis. You don't say. The whole day was a manipulation. Lawmakers says FBI's shift in focus is coming at the expense of other crimes, including child sex exploitation. Well, what, what, I mean, what, what, come on. That, that's some QAnon nonsense. The top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee said Monday a whistleblower has come forward detailing how the FBI is manipulating cases related to January 6th Capitol riot to create the illusion that domestic violent extremism is a widespread problem in the United States. Representative Jim Jordan said in a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray that the manipulative case file practice was being conducted by the Bureau's Washington Field Office, which was instructing the local FBI offices to open up cases on their books that were in fact simply related to the Capitol breach. Quote, the FBI's case categorization creates the illusion that threats from DVE, domestic violent extremism, are present in jurisdictions across the nation when in reality they all stem from the same related investigation concerning the actions at the Capitol on January 6th, Jordan wrote. Such an artificial case categorization scheme allows the FBI leadership to misleadingly point to significant increases in DVE threats nationwide, he added. The activity comes as President Joe Biden and his team try to make the case that supporters of Donald Trump are creating a crisis of extremism in the United States, a case he made uh, in a widely panned speech in Pennsylvania a few weeks ago. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we get this. A man, a man admits to running down and killing a, uh, an 18-year-old over a political dispute. The 18-year-old was a Republican, self-described Republican, I guess. A North Dakota man is accused of intentionally running over and killing an 18-year-old over a political dispute early on Sunday. Just prior to the hit-and-run attack, the teen had frantically telephoned his mother to say someone was chasing him. Shannon Brandt, 41, called 911 around 2.35 a.m. to report that he had hit a pedestrian with his vehicle in an alleyway in McHenry, North Dakota, according to KVLY-TV. He allegedly told the dispatcher he chased down the teen because he was part of a Republican extremist group and that he was afraid they were coming to get him. This is all because of the FBI as well as the media and the Democrat Party at large. That, that's who, who's responsible for the death. Almost as much as the fucking nut job who was driving the car that killed this young boy. So... You want to talk about domestic violent extremism? There you have it. Uh, here is another young boy who will never grow up. The Washington Times reporting on David Hogg, the stick insect, vows to never have children. I don't know how stick insects reproduce. I don't know if it's an asexual thing or what, but uh, this should be interesting. I would much rather own a Porsche, he said. Well, that's because he's still a child. Apparently, the Second Amendment advocates of the 2040s won't have to worry about David Hogg Jr. Well, that's good. Gun control activist David Hogg said, no, no, because you know what happens. They, they They make statements like this to try to appeal 
to leftist women because as crazy as this sounds, this is a mating call. It's like, hey, ladies, you want to live the fast life with me? Yeah, I, I understand. No, I, listen, trust me. I, I totally, uh, you know, support you in your career pursuits, and I'll never get in the way. Let's just have some fun right around my Porsche. How he's going to get it, I don't know. His little pillow venture didn't work out too well, and he has no real skills, no no life skills. He's not even a good speaker. He's fucking full of cringe. Um I, th- I guess he has the military intelligence data or whatever the hell he was. So there's that aspect here. So uh, I mean, I guess somebody will gift him a Porsche, Porsche at some point, put him on a payroll somewhere. I don't know, but he's a worthless piece of shit. Uh, is he old enough for me to say that about him now? We, we couldn't say that back in the day because he was still in high school. Can I call him a worthless piece of shit yet? In a lengthy thread, the liberal activist said children are luxury goods... Affordable only by the few. The new boats, he called them. What? Yes, kids are nice, but most can't afford them, so it's nice to have friends with one, but not have one yourself. Pets are the affordable version of kids today for millennials and Gen Z. No, 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 sir. No, sir. It's not how it works. But then again, like I get, this is a child speaking. This is how leftist toadstools also signal for mates it's a mating call which is weird enough a sterile mating call but still and uh yeah he never wants to have kids i because he's all the kid he needs so what else did he say here like me i'm never planning on having kids i would much rather own a porsche okay Besides a belief that children are unaffordable and preference of this, this doesn't this guy sound like uh, some someone who who wants to who cherishes children's lives, but he wants to stop them coming coming into the world. Obviously, I'm sure he'll get into that later on in the article. Besides a belief that children are unaffordable and a preference for German sports cars, Mr. Hogg said he will remain childless as an ideological statement. That's all it is. But I'll tell you when the ideological statement goes, goes, uh, goes away, when you realize that you're, you're getting lonelier and lonelier. And I know, and that's why I feel, feel bad for some people that just, that don't, that, that want the family, they want the children. It just never panned out for them. Um, but then you have everybody else who just, from the get-go, throw it all away But there'll be a turnaround. There'll be a turn because he's still a child. Still a child. Said something like, I don't want to have... I saw a tweet where he said, you know, to pay for a child that are very expensive, then they grow up to hate you, and you have to put them through college. So, I mean, that's that's still a child holding on to teenage angst. There comes a time where all that goes away, thank God. He's still not past that. So he said, it's uh, also a big reason I will never have kids in the U.S. I refuse to raise kids in a country that values fucking guns over children's lives. Yes, so you're going to rook yourself of that. I know it's far too many parents who have had their kids killed by gun violence. No one should ever feel that kind of pain ever. So you rook yourself of the joy of parenthood because of this obscene thought that, well, if I have a child, they're just going to get killed by a gunman somewhere. 
So this is a, like I said, this is a person that doesn't have their faculties. They're still young and stupid, but I think also just stunted. Who knows? You know, they say every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. I don't try to completely throw people out, especially when they're this young, anything can turn around. But, um, man, uh, it's going to be very, very hard to break out of this when this is the only prospect you have in a a professional sense. If you think that he's ever going to let go, his ego is ever going to let go of the Twitter account and the subscribers and being in the public eye and all that stuff, that's a, this is a, that's, I mean, that's something that was always replacing things like higher powers and belief in something bigger than our short, very limited time here. He's addicted. He's addicted to social media and the rush that he's had over the last few years. So uh, who knows? Maybe he'll, he'll turn around, but I don't think so. I don't think, I think too much of his identity at this point is, uh, is rooted in this. Okay, well, and also, I'm pretty sure that one needs to first be able to produce sperm in order to father a child. So, he might have a problem there. Here is a little bit from Russia. Last one, and then we're going into the show here with a couple of big, big headlines to lead off the show before we get into Don Lemon. From Sputnik. From Sputnik. This is a uh, pretty, uh, as you would imagine, underreported and suppressed story here in the U.S. And I like checking in on it every once in a while. Russia presents evidence of U.S.-Ukraine-based military biological activity to Geneva Convention yesterday. Moscow earlier presented evidence that the Russian military found in Ukrainian, found in Ukrainian biolaboratories seized during the special military operation in the neighboring country. The, um, the documents suggest that these labs, funded by Washington, were working on dangerous pathogens. The Russian Defense Ministry has presented evidence of U.S. military biological activity in Ukraine to member states of the Biological Weapons Convention in Geneva, head of the Radiation, Chemical, and Biological Defense in Russia of the Russian Armed Forces, Lieutenant General Igor Kirilov, uh, Kirilov said. The ministry's representative said that the member states' delegations did not question the authenticity of the documents they were presented as proof of the U.S. and U- U.S.'s and Ukraine's violation of Articles 1 and 4 of the convention. Quote, from the lieutenant general the participants of the meeting received copies of real documents previously mentioned by the middle ministry of defense of russia as well as material evidence confirming the implementation of work on military biological programs in ukraine for consideration the head of the rcbd of the russian armed forces further pointed out that u.s and ukraine failed to present convincing evidence to the convention's members that would prove that the Pentagon's cooperation with the Ukrainian laboratories benefited the epide- uh, epidemiological situation in the country. Kirilov said that the U.S. Department of Defense only came up with few photos of renovated laboratories while the said epidemiological situation in Ukraine has been deteriorating for the past 15 years. 
The Russian Defense Ministry's representative further stated that the U.S. admitted the fact, uh, the fact that Ukraine exported biological pathogens and materials, as well as engaging in ethically questionable experiments, namely on the military and socially vulnerable groups of the Ukrainian population, such as psychiatric ward pati- patients. So, psych ward patients, which is a... They, uh, um, I mean, they probably learned all of the, the CIA's tricks on that one. Kirillov slammed the U.S. attempts to tone down the problem by using claims that it did not occur often. Russia raised 20 questions regarding the illegal activities of Kiev and Washington that violate the provisions of the convention with uh, with the BWC member states, Kirillov said. Among them are questions regarding the choice of pathogens for studies, which often include ones that have never been discovered in Ukraine. The ministry's representative also reiterated Russia's previous statements regarding Ukraine seeking to procure drones from Turkey fit to disperse aerosols. Oh, really? The Turkish defense company refused to deliver the UAVs, which could have been used to spread harmful and potentially deadly pathogens. So that's the latest on that, which you won't get anywhere else. So even though it's Sputnik and you can say it's biased in the other direction, at least it's a little something for consideration and you take what you want with it all right ladies and gentlemen when we come back we've got a very interesting approval from the defense department on vaccine exemptions quiet interesting approval i have a statement here from chris ann hall to read onto the record as well that we got to talk about this uh, really quickly with this liz cheney bill about the vice presidency and the electoral college votes and then we're going into don lemon so don't go anywhere we will be right right back One ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock! So, so. Where are we going now? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. It is, quite frankly, it's Tuesday night. It's the 20th of September. And just remember, if you want to contribute to the show, if you want to put some thoughts on the record, 
And if you want to just contribute to the overhead and and um, and become a sponsor for the evening, then you can go to quitefranklysuperchat.com. There are plenty of platforms out there that you may be watching live on that have native super chats built into it. I know there, there's the tips on Rockfin. There's the Rumble rants on Rumble. Of course, there are the ever vital gold pills on Foxhole, which is embedded on quitefrankly.tv. But uh, other than that, other than that, I just wanted to uh, also say that there's a universal super chat that I set up on quitefranklysuperchat.com. Wherever you are, it's there for you. Okay. So with that being said, let's just jump right into the new, the other big news of the day. And this is uh, pretty interesting. If you ask me, first one up, Army. And this is what, uh, this is what Chris Ann Hall said was probably going to happen. That's why I was happy I got to talk to her about this really briefly on the on the uh, the, the phone today. And she texted over <clears throat> a couple of statements I can read. Headline, Army quietly approves COVID vaccine exemptions after DOD IG memo goes public. This is from trmlx.com. I received a message, it's from uh, the, the writer's name is Chief. I received a message from a friend on September 16th who told me, quote, every day I check MedPros, today I discovered a one-year AT exemption for the jab. With that message, he sent the screenshot of MedPros. This is a picture showing that he has had, he has an exemption for COVID-19 vaccine until September 12th, 2023. To understand the significance of this, you need to know two things. First, for a whole year, the Army hasn't granted any exemptions or accommodations for anyone other than a few soldiers who are already getting out of the service. Second, it wasn't until we released an article on September 13th, which detailed the memo sent by the Department of Defense Inspector General to the Secretary of Defense with his concerns of illegal activity in the DOD that the exemptions started showing up as approved in MedPros. Thinking this might be a fluke, I asked other soldiers to check their MedPros and send me screenshots if they had uh, approved exemptions. Sure enough, MedPros was populated all over the force with exemptions showing random dates. Random dates. August 23rd. August 16, 2023, August 29, 2023, one year at a time, all types of stuff here. After an entire year of either ignoring or flat-out denying religious accommodations, the Army suddenly started approving them en masse. However, no one was notified. They not only did it without any fanfare or publicity, but they applied random dates in what I can only speculate is an attempt to make the records look as if they've been approved for some time. I've already highlighted the DOD's impeccable record keeping. However, in their hurried state to approve exemptions on soldiers' records, they botched the coding. The exception column has an admin temporary, AT, but the expiration date column has a 2023 for the year of expiration in many of the exemptions. The issue is that the AT exemptions can only be 90 days by regulation. Hmm. A copy of the regulations pertaining to admin exemption codes. Once again, the Army DOD has been caught breaking the law, fumbling to make it look like they didn't break the law, and having succeeded in making themselves look more culpable than when they started. It shouldn't surprise anyone that we did nothing in Afghanistan for 20 years with the leadership we have running the show. And that's what Chris Ann Hall sent me. 
Um, now, she said this. Frank, the, quiet, uh, the Army is now quietly approving religious exemptions and not telling one. This will have two consequences. Number one, commanders who continue to move forward with adverse consequences for religious exemptions requests will be engaging uh, in military misconduct. And number two, commanders who continue to move forward with adverse consequences for religious exemptions requests will take the full brunt of legal consequences personally and individually. This is the exact setup I predicted a year ago. My question, once again, I mean, well, I guess it, the question has an answer, but I'm just wondering exactly where this all leads. And I have been wondering is the window of time for wrongful termination. I'd have to imagine for civilian and for military, I mean, that's the military is just as much a career for, for people as anything else these days and has been for a long time. So... Uh, for this to be getting done almost retroactively is is obviously pretty desperate because I mean the, the whole damn thing has been so public. So that's just something that I want to put on out there and make sure that everybody is uh, is it knows has been happening. Uh, with that being said, I want to move over to Liz Cheney, and you guys know I don't like Liz Cheney. I don't like her very much. I I hate her family. Um, but here is a headline from Fox that I'm, I'm taking a little bit of an exception with. Uh, Cheney-backed election reform bill strips vice president of all authority when counting presidential votes. Now, immediately, headlines like this have been getting around, and people are saying, oh, my gosh, well... If they're trying to strip the vice president of all their authority, then obviously Mike Pence did have the power to do something during January 6th and the challenging that was going on on January 6th that was disrupted by everything that was going on outside that was being voluntarily let inside. The bill's an attempt to close down the opportunity for any party or presidential candidate to create uncertainty about the results of the election. Then you get in there and you start realizing what this is all about. And it's a bill to clarify. To clarify. That's what they say. And uh, and that's what it is. Let's see here. Uh, to investigate generalism that spent the last year, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, false. Oh, come on. The bill, which is likely to get a vote in the House this week, is an attempt to close down the opportunity... For any party or, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. In one way, uh, one way it does that is by clarifying the vice president is only there to preside over the counting of votes. So it's a clarification. Now, obviously, everything that this woman is doing alongside of that, that, that whiny, weird creep, Adam Kinzinger, is being done out of the most Trump deranged syndrome, politically obnoxious reasons ever. Obviously. But it is a clarification of what I was saying. I don't like the election, uh, what, what, what they're telling us were the election results. It should have been uh, adjudicated. It should have been actually challenged uh, in, in big ways. And many people were trying to. But the whole vice president thing, a lot of people were very upset with me when I said that he is nothing but a secretary during the counting process. He has no Nothing he can do. You know, it is the Congress and only the Congress that validates 
and contests election results. There is a method for it. There is a prescribed method for it. There is a body that is able to do it. But it's not all vested in one person. Okay, that would have been a big problem. You're talking about the vice president of any outgoing president has the ability to to halt the entire things in his tracks. So I was saying this back in December of 2020 when Mike Pence stuff started and people started getting a little bit angry. If you want to strip anyone of the authority, of their authority to to screw things up, you should strip the Capitol Police of the ability to open up the doors to an emotional crowd of protesters and funnel them into the building while Congress was in session. Because that's what happened. Once the crowds were let in, then came the evacuations, the lockdowns, and when it was all over, the media had their pound of flesh. AOC is crying. We have inside the Capitol footage of of Chuck Schumer running for his life, looking like a big bird running around. And then when they come back into, uh, they were all they were doing it. They they had uh, co-sponsors. They had they, everything you needed. Multiple states were showing up. There was plenty to be presented, plenty to be considered, and in calmer in a calmer environment, it might have came off a lot better. So the process was going through, you know, and it just, once all the lockdowns were lifted and everybody, Congress was, was escorted back into the building, it became a poison pill. A poison pill to be, to be a dissenting House representative at that point because now you are party to insurrection. And the illegitimate Biden team were able to avoid suffering any ugly answers coming out about valid questions regarding the election. So I, there's no powers to strip from the vice president. They are a glorified secretary in the counting process. And this bill, if it is there to clarify, then whatever, it, cl- it clarifies. It's being done for politically obnoxious reasons, as Liz Cheney, and it's, it's all because of Donald Trump. But again, I don't know. That's, uh, I guess we're partially b- to blame for the lack of focus and not knowing. But the Capitol Police were far bigger hindrance, far bigger hindrance to the process than Mike Pence was. And I'm not a fan of Pence either. So... That is, um, that's what I wanted to bring up on that end. So, all right, uh, 7.33. Let's get down to Don Lemon. Now, Don Lemon was on with some kind of a, uh, some, a woman who was speaking, a commentator on the royal family. She is English herself. I don't know her name. But the exchange, which is about two minutes long, got a lot of people... Um, you know, kind of like, oh, snap. He tries to bring up reparations. Of course, the other thing that has been going on now, because there is this this uh, this handing down of power from the queen to now King Charles III, is that King Charles inherits so I mean all of the 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 royal family's treasures, which is countless billions, probably countless billions and now and prince william takes over his father's estate that is worth at least a billion dollars and people are saying well this is just not right it's not right you know everybody else in the uk has a 40 percent inheritance tax or something like that that i read and very conveniently the royal family made sure that a uh, an exemption was written in for them now i don't think that the that that should be leveled out and they should have an exemption uh, they should have the exemption lifted. I don't think the inheritance tax should be there for anyone. I don't care how much money you have. 
But for anybody out there like me who is comfortable with going out and earning as much as they can and leaving something behind for their family, regardless of how much more someone else makes, that's the only thing that matters to me in my life. I don't care what the person next to me is making. The inheritance tax is one of the most, it's almost, I mean, it's it's not as, uh, I mean, it's probably the worst thing ever as far as all the taxes. A not-so-distant second in the United States is the self-employment tax, which should be an independence tax. How dare you do this yourself? Anyway, he has the the gall, not so much the gall, this is just who he is, this is how he's been trained his whole life, to talk about reparations that should be paid on account of the empire being the empire. Here you go, listen to this. Well, this is coming when, you know, there's all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising costs of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts, and so on. And then you have the, those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism, and they're wondering, you know, $100 billion, $24 billion here and there, $500 million there. Some people want to be paid back, and, uh, and members of the public are wondering, why are we suffering when you are... You know, you have all of this vast wealth. Those are legitimate concerns. Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished uh, slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, In Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say, who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages? Absolutely. That's where... They should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. It's an interesting discussion, Hillary. Thank you. <laughs> now, I, uh, Don Lemon has been aging rapidly. I don't know. He looks, he looks lighter. Like I, I like at least fifteen or twenty pounds lighter. I don't know what's going on. If he's starving himself, if he has some kind of an allergy, a food allergy. Who knows what's really going on with this guy? But my word, he he's sitting there. If you are not watching this on, uh, if you're not watching this on whatchamacall, on the the live stream or on a video version of the show right now, he's sitting there just with a blank face. Not necessarily pissed off that she's taking it to him in this this direction. I, I it's just really just deer in headlights. It's really deer in headlights. Maybe it's because of just how deadpan and uh, steamroller steamrollery she was in her delivery. But he just did not. Oh, hmm. Uh, for him to say that's an interesting question to be had to see whether or not African tribes are liable for reparations for. The, the the lives lost and of British soldiers trying to end slavery. <laughs> Tremendous. Tremendous job. Really. Tremendous job on her on her part. Um, and I have a lot to say on this. 
Um, obviously, deer in headlights. He, he looks like he. Well, I don't know. I, I hope he's in good health. I, I may not like him, but I don't want anybody to be sick. But um, good on her though, because someone has just got. They have just got to put these race baiters in their place from time to time. It just has to be never wasting an opportunity to make to make everything a grievance that can only be cured with cash. Can only be cured with cash. That's the only. It's 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 incredible that that's the only cure for everything. Now I'm not going to sit here and absolve the British Empire of any evils it perpetrated. Uh, just like I don't really feel the need to celebrate any of the objective good that it has done along the way as well. Uh, but when it comes to colonialism and conquered lands, especially, I mean, many times uh, it's just a matter of you lost a war, deal with it. You went up against a superior foe, deal with it. I mean, we're being conquered right now. Uh, I don't believe by a superior foe. Uh, maybe technologically, because we're being conquered psychologically and 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 uh, chemically right now. So perhaps it's it's superior in a technological sense, but they don't have the numbers. They don't have. It's just uh, it's just different. Now, can you imagine what state of the world and as bad as the world is right now? Though you can find plenty of good, I'm sure. But with the, can you imagine the state of the world? would be in right now if all at once every tribe, every nation, every former nation started demanding to be paid by its conquering tribe or enemy state for the injustice of being conquered. Can you ima- can you just imagine what kind of what kind of ridiculousness? It's a ridiculous exercise. But the point in this case cuz that's not going on all over the world, most parts of the world that aren't the west the altruistically suicidal West. Most other parts of the world are just getting on with it. Good, bad, or ugly, they're just getting on with it. But the point in this case in particular with Don Lemon and everything that he represents is once again an example of this obsessive and purposeful imbalance in historical perspective, okay? Which has become a major weapon in the global war in which we find ourselves. This obsessive, obsessively imbalanced view of history. Now, I I am sick of these worthless 21st century losers who think themselves educated and brave because they're obsessed with monetizing the grievances of people from hundreds of years ago. I'm sick of it. I'm sure many of you are as well. It has no weight. It bears no teeth. It is just fucking pathetic. And I'm not even necessarily totally opposed to the idea of restitution in some cases as well. For example, I think much of the Middle East and Africa has a major grievance just over the last 20 years alone. Generations of children, men, family, entire wedding parties killed, artifacts and resources looted, countries destroyed over what? Over lies, over lies. Just like I think that, and I don't think that you and I should be paying no, no, no. And again, in fact, I do believe that Americans and Europeans have a part of that gripe as well. I just don't think that you and I or Europe should be paying, even though it were bombs and planes with flags that we hold dear, spray painted on the tails of all those planes and those uh, unmanned drones and all that stuff. I think the assets of families like the Cheneys should be liquidated and everyone, everyone else who helped lie as a predicate for war should be imprisoned. Some of them it's executed. 
That's what I believe. I think that's a pretty good restitution for everybody. Because, you know, like I said, it, it, the Middle East and North Africa, they suffered tremendously. They're the ones that took on the bombs. They're the ones that had their populations displaced, their children maimed, and all that other stuff. But our treasury was looted, and then we were shamed into taking in countless millions of refugees. I mean, it's every, it, that's not our response. It was never done because we asked for it. So, I mean, that's something we can do right now. The perps are still alive. But, you know, this practice of combing through and perverting centuries of history for the nonstop bullying of namely white Europeans in trying to get them to surrender their culture, their savings, their property, their futures for the perceived benefit of one privileged class or another. I, I mean, that, that has run its course. That has run its course. It has lost all of its bite. That is just dead for me for a long time now. And I say perceived benefit because the lives of the receivers of the reparations, those who are receiving the reparations, they never improve. With each new check that arrives, the lives never improve. Okay? The only people who actually benefit from this kind of Don Lemon thinking are those who have given themselves the power to redistribute. Those are the only people who benefit. You want it here. It's, it's all Animal Farm. Here is a wonderful little example for you. This just came out today. We always talk about the, the uptick in all these universal basic income programs that are popping up, the pilot programs, they call them. Zero Hedge, it's crazy on many levels, but Cook County has launched its free money UBI program. That's universal basic income by Mark Glennon. It starts off with a fake quote by Socrates. Teach a man to fish and he will still just eat the fish given away for free. Socrates didn't really say that. I just made it up. I made it up because some wise man should have famously said it for the sake of those who seem oblivious to that fundamental aspect of human nature. Cook County Board President Tony uh, Preckwinkle, among the oblivious are Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, Preckwinkle, what a name, and the rest of her board. Last week, she announced the county's version of what was often called UBI, Universal Basic Income. Under the program, the county will send monthly payments of $500, from $500 as a low, to a high of $3,250 to its residents who successfully apply for two years. At $42 million, it is the, quote, largest publicly funded guaranteed income initiative in American history, Preckwinkle says. UBI programs are sometimes called free money programs, as in this column describing 13 similar programs in certain cities around the nation. Quote, free money is a fair label because that's exactly the point. To make cash handouts with no strings attached, no work, no disability or training enrollment requirements, no regard for how much the recipient is getting from other assistance programs, and no real questions other than household income. Eligibility is open to anybody 18 or older with a household income at or below 250% of the federal poverty level or at about $58,000 for a family of three. About 36% of all Cook County residents will therefore be eligible. 
This is madness for so many reasons. First, job openings across America still hover at a record 11 million, twice as many openings as people seeking work. Let me tell you something. I know they know that you're seeing this in your town, in your village, in your city. I know you're seeing it. Every storefront, no matter how small, no matter if it's a franchise, everything is help wanted. I have a friend. I have, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends with businesses around here, but one of my, my best friends has a pizzeria. Uh, it, it's Frankie and Louie's, if you're ever in town. <laughs> uh, Frankie and Louie's. I have never known him to be short-staffed for pizza men. He has no pizza men. None. None. He, it used to be he'll put out a Facebook post on their local local business page saying, hey, we got an opening for a pizza man, you know, you know a dough thrower. And, uh, and, and they, they would have to fight people off who were looking for a job or looking for some complimentary income, whatever the hell it was. Ever since COVID, there is nothing. There is nothing. Uh, it, I, I actually feel really good for him, even though it's a, it's a sign of how bad the, the, the labor market is. The job market's fine. The laborers are, are worthless at this point. They've been made convinced to be worthless. And uh, he, told, he told me, uh, some, a few people told me last week that the pizzeria was closed. So I got in touch with him. I said, hey, what's going on? I heard that uh, you guys are closed. You, you fumigating or something? Just making a joke. He said, no, actually, it's just we scheduled a, a, a week off. Everybody was at a breaking point. He has a uh, he has a, a a co-owner, and they both have not had a day off in months, many months, many months. And everybody's just there's no replacements for anybody because there's no one willing to work. So it got to the point where they actually had to close their doors for a week so everybody can just breathe, clear their head, and maybe come back with some you know some you know some pep in their step. It's one hundred percent. This is all over the place. It has to be going on where you are, too. Take the damn jobs should be expressed public policy, not free money, except for those who cannot work. With no work incentive, whatever, Cook County's program breeds government dependency in its purest form. This is what reparations is. Second, the $42 million to fund the program comes from the ARP, the American Rescue Plan, passed last year. Federal money supposedly for pandemic relief. Well, this is all the pandemic really trained people to do, to get out of the workflow they were in in 2019 when everybody was making money. Where's the federal oversight on that money? Where is there any tie between COVID and eligibility for the program? And since President Biden just said on national television that the pandemic is over, why is federal pandemic assistance in this form to continue for another two years? Third, the program is labeled as just a pilot. It's called the Promise Guaranteed Income Pilot, but Preckwinkle talks, about, uh, talks out of both sides of her mouth on that. Here's a quote from Preckwinkle. Our promise to Cook County residents is to make this program permanent in the years to come. The name of our pilot is chosen purposefully, Preckwinkle said, because the word promise reflects an understanding of broken promises of the past, an intention to right those wrongs today and into the future. This is reparations. What's the broken, what's the broken promises of the past and righting wrongs through COVID money? What wrong is COVID money going to make for people right you see what's going on all right under our noses
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even hidden. Where will the money to fund? And if you think anybody, anybody, any, any county, any town, any city that is rolling out pilot programs of giving away free money, they are lying, manipulative bastards. And they're all working for the same people. They're all working for the same people. The DAs, they're all working for the same people. Their, their, their campaigns were funded by the same people. They are grooming an entire nation for, for, for servitude and for laziness and for nothing but complete compliance because nothing they can produce on their own will be able to be as fulfilling as doing nothing and getting everything you need handed to you. This is just something that comes along with the wiring of our species. They know how we work. They don't have that life for themselves. The ruling class, that's not the life they want for themselves. They actually want to live. They want to live a life. Okay? They want to live a life. They're telling us that feeding from the trough in the pig pen is life that we should all want. A dignified life. Rolling around in the shit with each other. Anyway, like I was saying, like I was saying, any pilot program is just part of the manipulation and selling this and making it that, okay, well, they already got a taste of the heroin. Now they need it constantly. And then you put them on the drip and that's it. You put them on the morphine drip and they are, they're there forever. Because what, what are you trying to figure out with a pilot program? Does a person who had $500 less the, 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 the month before you gave them $500 more for doing nothing, did their lot in life improve in any objective way? Is there any metric that you can collect on whether or not that person's life has improved if you just give them $500 to $3,200 extra month by month? Are you telling me that there's going to be anybody that says, this was really bad? I feel myself getting lazier. And I, I, I don't think that we should be continuing this program. Oh, we got some negative feedback. We're stopping the pilot. We're stopping the pilot program. Can you imagine that? Saying, oh, it's just a test. It's just a test to see if we have any positive, positive responses from people who do nothing and get thousands of dollars. Uh, on that matter, by the way, Illinois is about to hand out another $371 million to towns and cities for assistance on pandemic Biden says is over. That money, too, came from the federal government, though the Pritzker administration is taking credit for it. Quote, under Governor Pritzker's leadership, Illinois has leveraged all opportunities to support our communities and accelerate a strong economic recovery, which is, all, of course, nonsense. And finally, the program will be surely subject to abuse the entire program is an abuse the entire program is an abuse who was it was alexander was it alexander pope alexander pope let's see here i think it might have been could it be uh Voting, let's see. Could it be? Here he is. Oh, no, no, Alexander Titler. Sorry. Alexander Titler. 
a, uh, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government, and that's, of course, what they always keep talking about, democracy, where 51 dominates 49. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for their candidates, promising them the most benefit from the public treasury until it is, of course, looted and, um, and completely destroyed and there's nothing left for anybody anymore. So this is really the, it's really the end. Makes you wonder, of course... What does the digital currency that everybody's investigating right now really going to lead us to? Anyway, this was all an aside from the Donald, uh, the, the Donald Lemon conversation that we were having. All right. Um, getting back to the, the Lemon issue, because this was a major part of it, the redistribution of wealth and resources, that is really the only people's lives who benefit, those who give them the, that kind of authority. The recipients are turned into worthless worthless breathers, mouth breathers, and eventually one day their votes are not even going to be necessary. So they're, they're trying to make people worthless. It is a horrible attack on the human species. But getting back to the, the larger issue, can you imagine the balls it even it takes to assert Especially when you talk about, well, are, is the British, uh, are, are, is one government or one empire or one kingdom from, from you know, going to ever going to give us uh, any kind of reparations or pay us money for something or other from 500 years ago, 200 years ago, 100, whatever the hell it is. Can you imagine the balls it takes to even assert that 21st century sensibilities are far more evolved and superior than people in the 19th and 18th century? Okay, first of all, if you want to say, well, there was slavery back then, the world hasn't even rid itself of slavery right now. There's over 40 million slaves living in the world. We just ignore it because, well, you know, the slaveholders are, I don't know, you know. So what else do we really have to show for our evolved status here in the 21st century? We, uh, we have a culture that is keen on confusing children about their gender and every other identity point to the degree that they um, they commit more and more to genital mutilation, irreversible genital mutilation and sterilization. We, uh, we assert over and over again that abortion is health care. Listen, if you like it, just say what it is. Don't call it health care. We assert that speech is violence. So there you go for uh, a, uh, an outspoken and, and truly free society to at least uh, express yourself. We are cavemen in baseball caps. As it's been said so eloquently in the past, that's exactly what we are. So the ridiculous notion that we in the 21st century can comb through hundreds of years of history and pick things that we are offended by and then demand somebody give us money hundreds of years later to redistribute so that we can get fucking votes in elections in dying countries is just gross. It's gross. But I have a couple of things here for you. It's 7.56. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I, have to, I want to read through some history, uh, history on slavery and some other things. It's been a while since we did a pure history night. So I'm going to do that with you when we come back. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, I want to also uh, encourage you to become a sponsor of this show, a monthly sponsor. You can sponsor this show by s- sending me off to one of your friends. 
Send a link to one of your friends, anybody who's never seen me before. That's a social media sponsorship. Uh, Super Chats are sponsorships 100%. Thank you for the support. For those of you who want to sign up for a monthly, you can go to quitefrankly.tv and you can see all of your options on the Sponsor Us tab and also below this episode in the description, everything you need. Subscribe star directly through quitefrankly.tv. There's still Patreon available. Even $1 a month gets you priority messaging. It gets you uh, a link to the unlisted Sunday live streams we do together. And it also, starting in November, gets you automatically entered into a side giveaway, a raffle. All monthly sponsors are going to be automatically entered into raffles every month now to give away number of show relics and uh, sponsored items and who the hell knows. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, go and check out all of your options and please become a sponsor. It would be wonderful to welcome you on and to have you counted among my boss men and boss ladies. Thank you so much. We will be right back. Plenty more to do. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Okay, it is nothing, nothing, no score at the top of the fourth, with one out, two on, between the Yankees and the, the Pirates. Watch them both uh, lose both games to the lowly Pirates. That's the kind of shit that happens this time of year, out of nowhere. Well, welcome back. 
Glad to have you with me. I'm going to go through your super chats right now. One, the first round of super chats, and then we're going to go back to our uh, our evening of history, or as I should say, enslaved by history. Doc Keck says, you forget, Frank, not only speech is violence, but silence is violence as well, because nothing says I'm offending you like not saying anything at all. You're right. So when you say that, well, if you don't speak up, it's violence, because if you don't speak up on issues that I want you to speak up on and say the things I want you to say, then you're committing violence against me. And if you say things I don't like, it's violence as well. So what it really comes down to is here in the United States, you better do and say what you're told. Obey the mob and, uh, and, and remember your mantras. Stostube says, hello, Frank. Good Tuesday evening. Good evening to you as well, sir. Orion's dad says, happy fourth birthday to my little man, Orion. May all the Oompa Loompas bless you with wisdom. May your courage be contagious. You're the best of the best. Love from daddy and mommy and your little sister, Orea. Keep being awesome. Happy birthday, Orion. Orion is a little comet, comet of energy. That is uh, Justin and the whole Yes Cacao crew over there. Happy birthday, Orion. Glad to hear. Glad that you're all hanging out with Uncle Frank tonight. Wish I could be there cutting the cake. Uh, let's see. Let's see. There's a there's a question to ask you all. What's your favorite What's your favorite cake? What do you if you when you're having a birthday? What's your favorite cake? Mine has kind of evolved over the years. But we'll see. Maybe I'll do that one other night. All right. Moving on to Rumble. Selling the farm says, shoot out to the other side. And here we are. Thank you. Thank you so much. Did Rumble go off without a hitch? Good. Yes, it did. Everybody's watching live and having a good time. Over there on... On Foxhole. Witchy Poo. There's a cookie fight between Witchy Poo and Just Because... Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Witchy. Annie Oakley says, if government is your sugar daddy, then you are his bitch. I'll stay working. Thank you. And thank you, Robert Sarns. And thank you all. Wonderful, wonderful thoughts. I appreciate it. I really do. All right. Now, let's get into... Let's get into what I had going on over here. Now... I should have done this a long time ago. I did not really understand how badly everything was going to be wiped off the internet. There are so many threads and great, great um, compilations, uh, compendiums of information on places like Tumblr. And I spent a lot of time on Tumblr over the last 10, 12 years or so, maybe more. And I just saw the greatest debates, the greatest, uh, the greatest, um, compilations of history people just just taking apart modern day nonsense that drives people like Don Lemon and adding a little bit more of a nice spin to it now I have been a part of some of these threads I played observer to others but I just saved these and the bad thing is that I went to go bring out all of my slavery and history um, resources today and really try to put together a nice show and 90% of those threads are gone gone 
the accounts are gone, all their work is gone. It's really sad. I should have saved them as PDFs or something. But a few really good ones are there. This is from a blog called Stirring Wind. Here's what they say. For me, the most annoying examples of historical inaccuracy plus horseshoe theory are when people claim to be against racism, but they're so Western-centric, they think imperialism and racism was a European-only enterprise. And so they go so far around the bend that they romanticize and fetishize powerful and expansionist non-European empires that were no less imperialist than the European empires they rail against. I'm sure you guys know, because I talk about it a lot on my blog, but some of the biggest offenders here include the mind-boggling manner in which the Empire of Japan is championed as an anti-colonial force, even though it was an undisguised colonial power that caused a destructive conflict that left 25 million people dead in Asia. Or the Ottoman Empire, when people disregard its genocide of Armenians, Assyrians, and Greeks. We cannot claim to be anti-imperialist if we're going to be okay with it or assume it is somehow less serious because the imperialists are not white by Western standards. Nor can we claim to be against Western imperialism because perpetrating Western-centric history is itself a manifestation of Western cultural imperialism. Ignoring the capacity of non-European empires for war, racism, and even genocide, just to present a photoshopped version of them as somehow being 100% utopian, enlightened examples of anti-colonial state-building amounts, uh, state amounts to actively erasing non-European history. This is not seeing non-Europeans as fully actualized and complex human beings who, like all human cultures, could produce works of art, science, and philosophy while also engaging in warfare and violence. The idea that the world was peaceful before the rise of European imperialism suggests the outlines of the world were always the same, that the modern concept of Europe was eternal. See the Roman Empire, which plainly saw Northern Europeans as uncivilized barbarians. So there's the Northerns. It suggests Europeans were perpetually at the nexus of global power when they were not. Wonderful. There's wonderful, wonderful things like this on, uh, or used to be, on platforms like Tumblr. And I had saved so many. Thankfully, some of them have have uh, survived. Here was one that was rebuffing a real racist SJW type who, uh, who just wanted to go after people for, you know, learn your history. Learn your history about racism and slavery and the, the, uh, the, the white devils. Well, here's a little something I loved. Uh, not so much the, not so much the, the arguing and the ad hominem, but this slavery comes from the cradle of civilization itself, Mesopotamia. And this, uh, this rebuttal was from a G servitor who, who no longer exists. Slavery comes from the cradle of civilization itself, Mesopotamia. Slavery, unlike today, was very prevalent and most popular in ancient cultures. And all this is sourced, of course. Uh, this is, uh, these are all clickable links. We're not going to go through all of them tonight. It's very evident in Mesopotamian society. The civilization, which was known for its advancements in all fields of livelihood, was actually a primitive, somewhat semi-barbarian civilization. Slavery existed and loomed large across all Mesopotamia. Here are the details. In ancient times, crimes such as assaulting one's elder brother or mother were punished by subjecting to slavery. Thus, slaves were mostly obtained from war captives and criminals. 
Slaves were made to wear skirts made of cloth that were tied along their waist, extending up to their knees, and as long as the uh, and as long as the owner so desired. It's widely believed that slavery came into being as a major institution with the development of agriculture sometime around 10,000 BC. In ancient Mesopotamia, as agriculture required labor, slavery was seen as a profitable way of exploiting war captives, warriors, and civil uh, and civilians. In ancient Mesopotamia, s- slavery uh, was used to pay off debt and as chattel. This slavery was ex- had existed for tens of thousands of years, far before modern Europeans took African slaves. But before Europeans took slaves as the uh, but before Europeans took slaves, the Arabs took slaves from Europe, Asia, and Africa. This was the Barbary slave trade. It lasted longer than the Atlantic slave trade and still continues to this day. Where is your outrage? It's true. I mean, the 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 Barbary the uh, the Barbary slave trade and the Barbary pirates. Uh, that is a great story if you want to learn about your American history there, especially you Marines out there. I'm sure all you Marines know all about the uh, the uh, the Barbary pirates. That was our first foreign war. Went out there to take and rescue American sailors and civilians uh, that uh, that were captured by these Barbary pirates, these North African pirates. They were all Muslim. In fact, this was uh, that's when we really started really start building up our navy in great ways and thomas jefferson undertook that he undertook that uh like a lot of people talk about thomas jefferson's quran because he was such a learned man and he was a learned man but i think it's uh, it's uh it's uh it's interesting that everybody overlooks the fact that thomas jefferson's quran was mostly mostly opposition research Okay, wanting to know, you know, j- just where, what their what what their war tactics were dictated by, because uh, war and conquest is baked into Islam, and he wanted to know all about it. You should really look into that. Uh, the, uh, you know, who did who did a good who did a good one? Uh, was it what's his name? Brian Kilmeade. That Kil uh, Kilmeade. He did a really good one. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and the Barbary Pirates or something like that. He had a good one there. I have a couple of Kilmeade's books. Really easy reads. Let's see. Uh, Europeans ended slavery in the West. Yet you are still whining. Bonus fact. Over the course of about 1,000 years, only 10,000 slaves were traded throughout all of North Africa and the Mediterranean. Europeans traded 12 million plus African slaves in one-tenth of that time. Here's another bonus fact for you. Uh, uh, The Barbary slave trade enslaved 1.25 million Europeans. These numbers do not include the Europeans, uh, which were enslaved by Morocco and other raiders and traders of the Mediterranean Sea coast, which is estimated four times higher. 700 Americans were also made slaves, along with millions of Asians, Africans, Middle Easterners. The time frame for this European, uh, uh, for the Europeans was from about 1450 A.D. to 1812. That is 362 years. The Arab-Muslim Barbary slave trade continues to this day, with an estimated 30 million still in slavery in the Middle East and in Africa. Where is your outrage? 
Uh, you are outraged that Europeans enslaved Africans because you harbor a racial hatred toward Europeans. So you are a racist. Chattel slavery in case you didn't know was introduced when a black man won life ownership over his slaves in the U.S. His name was Antonio the Negro. It was his real name. His name for we all did. We did this on the show many times before. Anthony Johnson. Antonio the Negro. Anthony Johnson he changed his name to. He was brought to the colony in 1621. At this time, English colonial law did not define racial slavery. It was all uh, indentured servitude. The census called him not a slave, but a servant. Later, Antonio changed his name to Anthony Johnson, married an African-American servant named Mary, and they had four children. Mary and Anthony also became free, and he soon owned land and cattle and even indentured servants of his own. I believe black and white indentured servants. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, did you know that at the time that the war between the states uh, broke out around 1860, 1861, about 30,000 slaves were owned by black slave owners? You know, just it's just uh, if you want perspective, you know, when when the when the washing machine is balanced and it goes into spin cycle, it doesn't bounce across the floor and knock all over the place and destroy the whole room. And that's the whole point of being able to look at history balanced. You get the good, you get the bad, you get the ugly, but you don't get enough. You usually don't get enough to send your life into a fucking tailspin like people like Don Lemon have to live with all the time. Uh, Let's see here. He was brought to the colony, there you go, an indentured service of his own. In 1651, he owned 250 acres, and the services of five indentured servants, four were white and one were black. In 1653, John Casser, a black indentured servant whose contract Johnson appeared to have bought in the early 1640s, approached Captain Goldsmith, claiming his indenture had expired seven years earlier and that he was being held illegally by Johnson. A neighbor, Robert Parker, intervened and persuaded Johnson to free Casser. Parker offered Casser work, and he signed a term of indenture to the planter. Johnson sued Parker in a Northampton court in 1654 for the return of Casser. The court initially found favor of Parker, but Johnson appealed, and in 1655, the court reversed its ruling, finding that Anthony Johnson still owned John Casser. The court ordered that he be returned with the court dues paid by Robert Parker. Uh, his was the first instance of a judicial determination in the 13 colonies holding that a person who had committed no crime could be held in servitude for life. Before his insistence, or before this instance, I should say, chattel slavery was not practiced in North America. The type of slavery practice was the barter or servant slavery you mentioned, because people could earn their freedom and be acknowledged as free Englishmen and could own land and slaves of their own. So that was uh, a big part of the reason why I stayed on Tumblr. Those great things, which conversations like that had popped up on this show many times before. So it's very hard, very hard to stay mad at things, you know, um, and I have some more. I have some more here if you want to do some more history with me. I have some more for my old notes. More for my old notes. So um, let's see. Oh, and if you want to learn something else too, something really interesting, study the timelines to abolition. 
I think uh, Wikipedia even has some good timelines there. But there's some really great stuff that's in Thomas DiLorenzo's books when you're, he was talking about how the Western world was getting rid of uh, chattel slavery in the 19th century. More and more, obviously, it wasn't happening in Africa and Asia. But um, how the Western world was getting rid of it, and mostly nonviolent. Um, strangely, the United States was the only instance in which over a million souls were lost during the war between the states, but we're not going to crack that can of worms open tonight. So you should check it out because there's really great efforts between like the 14th century to the 19th centuries to slow down slave trades, get rid of it, and to emancipate people. So you should check it out. Here's another exchange that I really love that has to do with the founding fathers. Anonymous told uh, ASD uh, uh, Asderathos. Anonymous told Asderathos, fuck the founding fathers and their, their decrepit piece of paper, the Constitution. And this is really what is living behind the, uh, the left, the eyes of the left. Most of them own slaves. Why should I give a shit about the opinion of some guys who owned slaves? And that's what it's been reduced to for a lot of modern Americans. And here's why. I love this rebuttal. Quote, of all the tragic facts of the history of slavery, the most astonishing to an American today is that although slavery was a worldwide institution for thousands of years, nowhere in the world was slavery a controversial issue prior to the 18th century. People of every race and color were enslaved and enslaved others. White people were being or were still being bought and sold as slaves in the Ottoman Empire decades after the American blacks were freed. Everyone hated the idea of being a slave, but few had any qualms about enslaving others. Slavery was just not an issue, not even among intellectuals, much less among political leaders, until the 18th century. And then it was an issue only for Western civilization. Among those who turned against slavery in the 18th century were George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, and other American leaders. You can research all the 18th century Africa or Asia or Middle East without finding any uh, comparable rejection of slavery there. But who is singling out? Who is singled out for scathing criticism today? American leaders from the 18th century. I have a lot on that. I have a lot on that. David Barton wrote a book called The Jefferson Lies. The Jefferson Lies. Exposing the myths you've always believed about Thomas Jefferson. You've got to go and read that. I have uh, on on my Kindle here a little something. We'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. Slavery isn't something, uh, some all-consuming. Those first quotes might have been Thomas Sowell. Might have been. Um, he's made similar points. I don't know. But the uh, OP goes on to continue. Slavery isn't some all-consuming sin that negates everything else uh, of worth about a person, just like any other sin isn't such. Pretending a sin makes a man a demon cuts you out of the uh, cuts you out of the human race. Hitler was as human as Gandhi, not as humane as human, and knowing that gives you perspective and keeps you from being a whiny little bitch spewing gibberish. Uh, slavery was imposed on the American colonies by the British king. The northern colonies immediately abolished slavery among themselves after the war for independence. Those men you brazenly assume assume were evil slave owners were mostly abolitionists. Thomas Jefferson was banned from freeing his slaves on his death. George Washington managed it because he died sooner. It's true. I have a little something here for you. A couple of uh, little pieces from the Jefferson lies that I have on my Kindle. 
You ready for this? While the northern colonies wanted emancipation immediately and the southern colonies not at all, the middle colonies believed that if emancipation was to occur, it must be gradual and with relocation, which is what Abraham Lincoln, the great savior, was all for. He was all for a practice called known as colonization, shipping American blacks out either to the Caribbean or to, uh, you know, Liberia or something. Thus, the middle colonies had colonization rather than abolition societies. That's, you know, there you go, colonization, uh, with some societies also in the South. They saw emancipation for slaves and then offered to transport them back to Africa from whence so many had originally been stolen. This middle colony approach acknowledged that slavery was wrong, but it also recognized that blacks had greater freedom and opportunity in Africa than in the prejudice-filled middle and southern colonies. These regional dissimilarities required different political tactics in each area. For manumission laws introduced in the north that would never have seen the light of day in the south, uh, manumission is pretty much paying, compensating a slave owner for their slaves for them to be freed to do away with it. To do away with it. And that's how a lot of most of British um, colonies were, uh, were getting rid of their slave practices as well through manumission. Let's see, where are we at? Uh, was okay. Therefore, Americans who wanted to change the national culture on slavery had to start of, at varying levels, depending on the geographic sect in which they lived. Jefferson was acutely aware of these distinct regional differences as demonstrated in the 1785 exchange with the Reverend Richard Price of England. Price had sided with, American, the, uh, with America during the Revolution and written several pro-American pieces, but one of his pamphlets said, quote, because it is recommended measures for abol uh, abolishing Negro trade and slavery met with a very cold reception after arriving in South Carolina. Uh, pay, uh, so, so they're wondering how they can do this. Now, we know that Jefferson, under his administration, I think in 1800 or 1801, uh, stopped the slave trade, the trading and uh, importation and exportation of slaves in the United States. That was 30 years before, 32 years before the the Brits banned it altogether, so we were already making making strides here. Based on the negative reaction it received there, Price was concerned that he had misread American intentions toward liberty. He therefore asked Jefferson whether South Carolina was typical of other states. Jefferson assured Price that South Carolina was definitely not representative of the entire country on the issue of slavery, predicting the three different regional um, uh, regional reactions his pamphlet would likely receive. His first affirmed, uh, he first affirmed what Price had already discovered. Southward of Chesapeake, it will find few readers concurring with the sentiment of the subject of slavery. Having affirmed to Price the hostile reaction his pamphlet would receive in the southern colonies, Jefferson then told him of the other two regions and reactions he might expect. Here it is. And these are all sourced from his letters. From the mouth of the head of the Chesapeake, the bulk of the people will approve it in theory, and it will find a respectable minority ready to adopt it in practice. Northward of the Chesapeake, you may find here and there an opponent to your doctrine, as you might find a here or there a robber or a murderer, but in no great number. In the part of America that, uh, uh, in that part of America, there being but few slaves, they can easily disencumber themselves of them. And emancipation is put into such a train that in a few years there'll be no slave northward of Maryland. And
And if you go further into American history, you realize because so much more of what was going on, the, um, the, the practices of or the establishment of most northern colonies were by people who were coming here to practice their religion freely and to establish something for themselves. And it, it wasn't so, so much agricultural and business. I mean, much of what was established in the South was established by large corporations and uh, those who were out there trying to make a buck. So uh, it, it was a little bit different. I think a lot more of the religious sentiments up up top were were shining through in the abolition movements as they as a uh, not to say that the South was devoid of faith, but there was just a little bit more dependency at the, on the moment. Um, from the mouthhead, so that's what they say. Now here's here's a little bit more. Jefferson expounded on these geographic distinctions to others as well. For example, he lamented to the Reverend David Barrow, who had lived in Virginia but moved to Kentucky and helped found the Kentucky Abolition Society, that emancipation would be slower in the southern and middle colonies than in the northern ones. Another excerpt from his letters. Where the disease, slavery, he, re- he, he referred to slavery as the disease, is most deeply seated, there it will be slowest in eradication. In the northern states, it was merely superficial and easily corrected. In the southern, it is incorporated with the whole system and requires time, patience, and perseverance in the curative process. Now, as previously acknowledged, Virginia was rigid in its pro-slavery laws and has been so far more than the century before Jefferson. This is where it goes into how dowry slaves or any kind of slaves that you brought on for one reason or another which is how jefferson came into so many slaves through uh, by birth and then through marriage same thing with george washington uh virginia laws made it so hard for people to financially survive the emancipation process that it, it just it became impossible for people to to release slaves unless they want to completely you know, uh, spend their their fortunes and be destitute. And the other thing there too is that held a lot of people like Jefferson back, even if they had the bankroll to free these slaves and, and overcome local laws that would just have to be changed over time, patience, and perseverance. There's the object of breaking up slave families, which I know is not a huge consolation, but should show a little bit more about the human considerations that were made by people like uh, certain members of our of our uh, founding generation. So it was a very, very hard thing to deal with. And to be able to make compromises and get over that, that, uh, that, that sticking point, such a really um, inflammatory topic even back then to be able to make even temporary agreements to band together and fight the British in the first place was a miracle you know this was always this conflict was always at least a political conflict the shooting war like I said the shooting war over slavery is a uh, in my opinion a big farce the shooting war did not start and was not fought to the extent that it was because of slavery it became a major part. It was definitely something that, uh, you know, emancipation by and large was achieved through it. But um, this was always baked into what we were going to have to deal with as a nation. And still we, we dealt with it in our own way and history just, it rolls on. Now, how many people are gonna read a book like The Jefferson Lies? That even exposes the myths about, uh, you know, Sally Hemings, which is a complete lie. 
something that was dug up. It was it was a smear campaign back in the in the 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 early 18th or the early 19th century as it was, the late 18th, whenever it was, and then it was picked up. It was picked up again in the 1990s to be able to distract away from all of Bill Clinton's. That's the only reason why anybody knows anything about Sally Hemings in the 21st century is because it was revised and worked back into American curriculums or curricula because of the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing. They wanted to go, they wanted to take away a little bit of heat off of Bill Clinton, whose middle name was Jefferson. And they also wanted to continue the slow boil of throwing every last American founder under the bus. So it's hard. Um, it's hard to, to maintain balance when the people around you don't give a shit about learning any of this. Even poking through it a little bit. But um, that's that. All right, it's 8.30. We're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, I have a couple other fun little things, and we're done for the night. So don't go anywhere. They tell your kids they got to love Justin Bieber, and... Uh you know, and then your children are turned into mindless vassals. They they look up to some twit instead of looking up to Nikola Tesla or looking up to, uh, to Magellan. I mean, kids, Magellan's a lot cooler than Justin Bieber. He circumnavigated with one ship the entire planet. He was killed by wild natives before they got back to Portugal. And when they got back, there was only like 11 people alive of the 200-and-something crew, and the entire ship was rotting down to the waterline. That's destiny. That's will. That's striving. That's being a trailblazer and explore. Going into space. Mathematics. Quantum mechanics. The secrets of the universe. It's all there. Life is fiery with its beauty. It's incredible detail. Tuning into it. They want to shatter your mind. Talking about Justin Bieber. Ah! Don't, don't be fooled by the internet. It's, it's cool. It's cool to get on the computer, but don't let the computer get on you. It's cool. It's cool to use the computer. Don't let the computer use you. You all saw the Matrix. There's a war going on, the battlefield's in the mind, and the prize is the soul. So, let's be careful. Thank you. a little bit more I want to do right now because there's a uh, I actually give this girl whoever she is a little bit of credit for coming out and saying it now here's the thing 
everything that we talked about tonight is part of the war. It's part of the war. It gives people the mental the the mental state to constantly be asking for more, to be pushing for more, to want to take down anybody in their way because of course if you stand in their way, then you're standing in the way of progress. You are therefore by default a supporter of the uh, injustices of the past, that you're a slavery apologist, all that stuff. It's part of the war. Well, here is one woman. She's a lib and she has uh wait nice okay 2-1 Yankees sorry Aaron Judge is coming up next I want to see if history is going to be made but here's a she's a lib her name is Arwa Madawi and here's the headline speaking of the war no doomsday bunker not a single gun if the US really is heading for civil war I'm stuffed. Now, this is, I think, a really brave admission right here. (laughs) Listen to this. The super rich are preparing to ride out the apocalypse by their underground uh, swimming pools. Ordinary Americans have bought another 20 million firearms. And me, I have a broom and a butter knife. That's right. That's right. How long do you think you would survive if everything went to hell? Civil war erupted and institutions crumbled and there was absolutely nowhere safe in the world left to run. Me, I'd give myself one week, maybe two. I would like to think that I'm a tough survivor type, but the last time I went camping, I forgot to br- <laughs> I forgot to bring a sleeping bag and sobbed myself to sleep. So on balance, I would have to admit that I am not strong survivor type. I did have a brief period this year when I did, uh, in a fit of madness, I thought I'd take up urban farming and become self-sufficient as is possible with a scrap of garden in Philadelphia. That seemed to go so well until I probably sent my mom a photo of all the luscious berry bushes I had cultivated, and she informed me that they were poisonous weeds and I should get rid of them immediately. So yeah, I don't give myself great odds on surviving the apocalypse. Now, she goes on to talk about just how bad things are getting with those uh, crazy right-wing nutjob Republican types and all that stuff. And uh, let's see, I bring all this up because, well, I mean, look around you. Things are not great. In the UK, the cost of living crisis had become so extreme that ITVs this morning offered viewers the chance to get their energy bills paid on the spin the wheel segment. When people have to compete for basic necessities on daytime TV shows, it's generally not an indicator that your supposedly rich country is in a healthy state. Now, these are all great, I mean, great opinions so far. Then she gets into looming right-wing extremism, which makes no sense. But um, that's just really usually what, what separates the left from everybody else. They have a... Um, they have a little bit more of an understand. They, ha- they understand what's going on. They know when they don't feel right. They know when things are not going as planned, but they just have a hard time diagnosing the problem because they can never indict themselves or the people that they support. They can never be wrong on that end. But it's just so, uh, I'm glad she admits that she's useless outside of her Pilates and Starbucks bubble. Now, The one thing that she doesn't understand, again, is that we are already in a war. You just need to know what you're looking for. 
Now, the lights are still on, the internet hasn't gone out yet, and there's still gas left in the pumps. But the PSYOP, PSYOPs are through the roof right now. Uh, the lockdowns, since, especially since the lockdowns, I mean, how many military intelligence agencies all over the world admitted that this was an opportunity to experiment on, the human, on human compliance? Education is propaganda. It's a complete propaganda mill that destroys history and heritage, as we have discussed here tonight. And we have a constant stoking of this this civil ten, racial tension stuff that's going on. And I understand that it is really just manifesting in certain locations. And if you go into any other part of the country, people are decent to each other. They have decent outlooks. And they don't want to be a part of this. They want to just go on. But, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. And, and I have to say, too, um, I, I find it refreshing because I don't think I'm, you know, Mr. Survivor Man. I've done some things to give myself a, a little bit of a chance. You know, uh, uh, who knows? Who knows what we'll be able to do? But I'm sure many of you out there know exactly what you're going through and what you're capable of. I don't think that there is uh, there'll probably be more people on the right who take who think conspiratorially and then act to um, prepare accordingly will have a little bit more going for them than those on the left who just think that everything is hunky dory if they just win a couple of more elections and print more money. So I just don't um, I don't know I don't know. Interesting, just interesting to see where people's minds are at. Other than that, I think it's time to go into some of our uh, Super Chats and then another quick thing, a 4chan warning, talking about breakdowns and collapses. There's always a warning of on 4chan, and sometimes it garners more attention than others, but uh, this one has a rapture date, so it's a popular one now, oh, or I think it's actually baked into the whole feeling of the 24th. You've heard about this 24th thing? I asked everybody, what do you think it's all about on Discord? And here's what I got back. A lot of it is joking, of course. They reveal what's under Oak Island, says Napkin. The greatest awakening ever, or maybe just two more weeks, says Stevel Knievel. (laughs) Uh, I've been living under a rock. No such knowledge about such happenings. Let's see. It's uh, it's Isaac from Oregon's birthday, so good for him. Weekends are great for bank shenanigans. That's right. Weekend. What else we have? An anticlimax. Ronan says, number one, a suitcase dirty bomb in a big city. Number two, financial collapse. Number three, martial law. Number four, Trump gets perp walked. Or number five, street wars begin. The number of people say JFK Jr. reveals himself and John McAfee's dead man switch finally flips. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Unveiling of new Pokemon Elite series. That is another theory that's kicking around in the, in the Discord right now. I don't know. I guess everybody is... Uh, just watch what you can. Watch what you can. So before we go over to the... The Super Chats, here, let's read this. 
This is what an Anon put out, out there. The bedrock of the global financial system is cracking. The U.S. Treasury market is the single most important financial system in the world. It's benchmark for pricing all other financial assets. The market is supposed to be the most liquid, meaning whatever happened, whatever uh, happens, whatever calamity or catastrophe, the U.S. Treasury market is supposed to be the market of last resort where everyone can put their assets risk-free and sell their assets with a guaranteed buyer, except... This very market is literally collapsing. Liquidity is drying up at the fastest rate ever and could very well go no bid over the next month, meaning there won't be a buyer for U.S. Treasuries anywhere at any price. This would precipitate the biggest destruction of wealth the world has ever seen. Think of oversight or think of overnight Lehman Brothers collapse times 1,000. And instead of just bank collapsing, you have entire countries' financial systems collapsing, every country own U.S. Treasuries, meaning everyone else is exposed. They say, look at the two-year bond. The yield is skyrocketing because literally no one wants U.S. bonds and buy the U.S. government debt. The only way to top it is for the Fed to go back to printing, but times 100 money, money printing, which will make the U.S. financial system completely lose credibility, meaning the U.S. dollar would collapse overnight. He said, watch for yields, which will jump multiple percentage points over the course of 24 hours. So it's not the 24th of September. But there's something about that, even though I don't know too much about it, just how would it be? Wouldn't the rest of the, and, and, and this would, I mean, even the Zells sent that into me too. So listen, the rest of the world is going to go down. Uh, we'll be the last nut to crack. Sean Morton, Sean David Morton sent something in he was listening to uh, my reading of his email last night and even he said do not give into fear porn even though it makes for good radio the US dollar is the benchmark upon which everything else is based that means it will go last the September 11 2008 notice the date when the financial markets collapse was in fact the greatest bank robbery in human history and was the culmination of a top-secret project called angel fire where the CIA and other Five Eyes agencies, all controlled by the Jesuits and the Knights of Malta, vis-a-vis -vis the Vatican, place backdoor codes into almost every financial system on Earth. This is why the Chinese and French refuse to use anything Microsoft. In fact, when Skype could not be hacked or listened in on, NSA gave Steve Ballmer $6.6 billion just to destroy it. Obama was elected to drive the getaway car and loot the taxpayers for the funds lost by the banks. This is all a final result of Promise Software, Prosecutor's Office Management Information System. We've talked about Promise before. Yeah. Uh, wasn't, wasn't that a, a Maxwell operation too? Which is a fuzzy logic software that can read any program or language, crack any database, and is the precursor to all AI. So not to panic. We are not at the crunch point yet. Blessings. Sean Morton. Well, I have too much going on on the, on the 24th. That is our uh, Saturday. That's Saturday. That's Saturday, and that's the day that we are celebrating Skip's life. Uh, put a lot of lot of invites out there, and we're just um, going to have a good day together. So whatever happens, I won't be a part of it. And then the week after that, uh, Aurora is getting baptized. There's, there's just too many things. Too much going on. I don't have time for one collapse or another. You understand me? That's where we go. Um, all right. The lines are open. It's 843. We'll take a couple at the tail end here as I read through your super chats. 
914-595-6953. What do you guys have in mind? Uh, Oratorio 72 says all roads lead to Obama regarding uh, 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 regarding Chicago reparations. All roads. Thank you for that, my friend. It's great to have you on with me. We're going to go over to Pilled in a second, but first, a call from Chris from the Berkshires. What's going on, Chris? Hey, Frank. How's it going? Oh, it's going. It's going. How's everything with you? Things are good. Things are good. Things are good. I got to ask. So, I gotta, if, if you had to, if you had to win one game, right? God forbid you play in the baseball. You know, would you even pitch to judge? If you say you're you're the Red Sox and you have one game to win, I wouldn't throw that guy a single strike at all. I would walk him and make everybody else beat you. Well, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, and I'll say. Uh, if I were managing, uh, if I were managing a game against, and I'm sorry for everybody who has to, but I, but I love answering questions like this, and this, this is pretty obvious for me. If I were managing a game against the Yankees and I had to put up a lineup and a defense and uh, and, and pick pitching and an approach to going after Aaron Judge, and we needed the game to win, like we we all of our hopes were resting on it, then you try to get around him. If you if there is a if there is a base open. And it's a tight game, then you give you you put them on. Like if there's a runner on second base and you're you're winning by one run, absolutely. Then you put them on first. I, w- I would just I would at the, I mean I have another point that I wanted to bring up, which is about the the show actually. But yeah. I would just put four fingers in the air and say give him first base. I'd almost treat him like Barry Bonds. Uh, no, I no no no. But that, that see that, that it, see Chris, uh, do you have anything else to say before I finish up on this thought and we yeah. go? Okay, go ahead. Please go. Quick. Real quick. Real quick, I tried to call him last night, and, and this is what I wanted to say, really, um, was the whole aspect of, like, you know, what we were talking about, about how, you know, the, the, the meme warfare, and I think I've said this before, is, is, is they treat us like, like, like teenagers, unfortunately, and, and, and it's obvious, right? The, the news handles people with kid gloves, and their, their libs are, are teenagers and things like that, because it's ultimately about bringing teenagers into your system and bringing in as they come into adults to become either, you know, Democrats or Republicans, whatever you want to do. But at the same time, for years, it has been whatever culture tells you not to do, like I can go as far back into even prior to the Grateful Dead and people smoking weed and, you know, even punk rock, you know, being a conservative is punk rock right now. Everybody on the news is telling you as a kid, you can't do it, you can't do it, don't do this, don't do this. And every kid is looking at it and going, I want to try that. It's, it's the same thing as telling kids not to smoke pot. I want to try that. I want to try these memes. I want to look at these memes. And, and the more they look at it, you know, you, we're not trying to win the cultural mindset of 60, 70, 80-year-old grandmas. We're trying to win the next... 10, 15 years, 20 years of voters who are going to give us a chance to actually change culture over an extended period of time. And that's kind of, that was, you know, that was more based on last night's show than anything, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I love the history stuff. No, I, no. Hey, listen, I'll, the history, I'll talk history out, Mike. Well, 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 thank you for the call, Chris. And thank you for that. And I would say Ooh. that the history is, um, is part and parcel with the other thing, uh, with, with, with generational education and making investments in the future. It's all part of it. And yeah. Yeah, K- kids love what the parents hate. That is just part of the uh the whole rebellion there thing. 
uh, what happened what happened to to kids like David Hogg? I don't know. That's just a, a sad story. That is not a rebel. That's not a leader. That's a a slug. Uh, you know, so that happens. But it's something that that is always going to be baked into our our experience. That rebellion, and you got to count on it. Uh, I always thought that if I were going to be anything, I'd be a Democrat because Democrats have fun, and they're. I, I hear this word liberal, that which means that. I guess it's just, you know, live and let live, be you, man. And yeah, let's go, let's have a crazy time at a concert. And, you know, conservatives, I mean, you, that, you, you have to wear, you have to wear uh, vests and cummerbunds and, and you, you go to stuffy parties and you have to learn how to talk fancy and you have to know, I don't know, you have to, you have to know politics and you discuss th- the most, the most uh, exciting thing you discuss is insurance. You know, that's, that's the, the, internal beliefs just the things that I took away from all of that and yeah it's 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 really what comes off as what feels most like a hindrance to a young person who wants to experience the world and right now it's uh the place with the best comedy the place with the most uh with the most leeway for you to think and to be able to actually diagnose the things around you comfortably without somebody else trying to take your head off is not the left i mean to to call it conservative to call it right wing i i I hesitate to do that to to use those types of labels because so many people don't even know how to define all that from an ideological philosophical standpoint it's just the totalitarian leftist social engineering types and then there's everybody else a big mishmash of everybody else including those who would think that they would be who 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 identify as like moderate democrats now as far as Aaron Judge goes I would only pitch around him if it's a vital part of the game or anybody in a, in a situation like him, if it's a vital part of the game and we're only up by one or it's tied or if we're losing and we have to keep the score exactly what it is, and, and you can have a, you have an opportunity to get around him, then you, you, you try to pitch around him. You either give him nothing to hit, you can intentionally walk him, but it's only because you're working the game. You're trying to work the situation that you're in and you're dealing with a very hot hitter. Forget about the the records that he's about to smash or anything like that. To avoid him just because you don't want to be the team that he hit number 60 and 61 off of is Bush League. And it's ridiculous. What about the, the previous 59? It's 59 home runs. I mean, come on. Is it really a, a big, the biggest sin to be the 60th? That's ridiculous. That, and that's as Bush League as bunting in the eighth inning during a perfect game to try to break up a perfect game. Bush League. So, no. No, I have nothing. I have no problem with anybody walking Aaron Judge this time of year if they are a team that's in contention or if they're playing to win a game and it's a tight game and you want to get around a guy who is killing everybody in big spots. If you have a place to move them, I don't I don't blame it, but no. You just play the game. Let's see. Uh Dead Man Talking. What's going on, Dead Man Talking? Hold on a second. 
All right, got you now. Get Dead Man Talking. Go ahead. I wanted to uh, chime in about this lack of people wanting to work anymore. Oh, yes. Go ahead. I think that was really the big reason for part the uh, thing in your arm. I don't know how much you could say about that in your show. But, you know, the whole push that happened two years ago is to get people used to the idea of not working, getting something for nothing, make them enslaved. That's part of the insult on manhood itself. Work makes you feel, at least me anyway, makes you feel, when paying your own way, making yourself feel good about putting pride into, like, you know, the guy with the pizzeria. I used to marvel at pizza throwers when I was a kid, when my parents used to take us to this little Italian place. And, like, nobody wants to work anymore. I think that's an, a further assault on manhood, and that's been going on for decades It's now. true. It's true. I mean, you can expand that out, no doubt about it, to that, to that degree to just talk about just another aspect of, of manhood. Just to, for anybody to be comfortable with, oh, I just got approved for a new program. They're sending me $1,000 a month. I can coast a little bit more. Oh, I, I got this money coming in for a year or two. That is just, that is horrible. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. When is G. Edward Griffith going to be on? I heard you talk about him last night. Uh, if everything goes well, tomorrow night. Okay, because I'm going to submit a question because part of my point, uh, I was formulating a question for him because when you think about the amount of work that man has done, yes. the amount of research he's put out there, and the lack of any, you know, really for anybody to react and have the courage to take on their enslavers, I, I'm just, I've been formulating a question I'm going to submit and uh, hopefully he'll comment on it because he's one of my heroes. Well, send, send it on over, dead man, because I'll tell you, it's, uh, I have seen it, I, I've been compiling thoughts and I, I've been going through some of his old, uh, his old work, his old uh, lectures and everything else. And as you said, with somebody who has, I think, over, fi over 50 years of work in educating people, it's like... Uh, it's almost impossible to narrow it down for, I, I can only expect, I can only assume that I have this one 45 minute to an hour long block. I, I'd be a fool to assume that I'm going to have him back for, you know, three, four appearances. So I, I got to try to do some good stuff here and it's just hard to really narrow that down. It really is. But thanks for the call and send me that email. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go. Let's finish. Let's finish off tonight with Art from New York. It's been a while, Art. How you doing? Good and good, good. How are you, Frank? I, uh, when I listen, I always pray, pray for you, pray for your family, your little daughter, you know, and everything. Thank you. Um, uh, you're welcome. I'm calling to, to mention that like, if you put aside um, the history of slavery, and if you look at the present and the future, and let's invite uh, Don Lemon, the worst lemon, um, <laughs> to go to South Libya and explore slavery, the, the real slavery of nowadays. And if we look into the future and the present at the same time, and we recognize that, like the, uh, what's her name, Gina Ondo, the Secretary of Commerce, the first one of her first, um, um, what do you call it, interview, she said, we need better field computing, cloud skills, data skills, digital skills. That's a wake-up call for everybody that the real slavery is in your phone. Mm. Whatever you do, whatever you make, whatever you think, is registered. 
and they are dragging you by your nose. That's the real slavery of the present and the future. It's true. It's true. Uh, it, it's something I, I think about often. I'm glad you brought it up here because aside from aside from tackling the, the, the truth of the matter and what has become such a uh, compulsive stance for people in media and in education to take on, uh, you know, society, we, we have so much work to do to, to fix what what this this country is, which is such bullshit. Uh, every it's it, it, it wasn't broken. It wasn't broken. It was as imperfect as the human condition is, and it's always just going to reflect us. And as you said before, we are just uh, we're witnessing a, a different type of slavery. We are we are completely enmeshed in a new type of slavery that uh, very few people can actually identify because they take it as freedom, which is scary enough. Uh, freedom, we have it. We, we have the best freedom on. That's why everybody on earth is waiting for our call. Our constitution is protecting us. We're standing up enemies inside outside. Don't get me wrong. And guess what? The double jeopardy of slavery is real. We're paying taxes and they're spying on us. We don't like it. As simple as that. And they're making money out of it. That's it. Well, thank you, Art. It's great to hear from you. You were the last call tonight and I couldn't have thought of a better guy to hang out with yes it's the same here man you're the best dude <laughs> all right thank you art great evening man bye bye you too yeah uh, it's a uh, it's a shitty it's a it's ironic in a shitty way talk about slavery but we're we are really we are bogged down by one of the more pervasive forms of it ever talk about reparations but we have through government assistance programs and everything else you can say that we have paid trillions and trillions of dollars of reparations given out money uh, just for just cash given out money in the form of food of education clothing you name it and how much better has society has got has society gotten on the heels of that of those so-called investments, which I would say are now sunk costs. Hasn't got much better. But listen, one more check. One more check will do it. History be damned. History be damned. All right. Thank you all so much. Uh, thank you, Annie Oakley. Home. Uh, there's there's more people on, on uh, pill.net, foxhole, quite frankly, TV right now. River Pike, Home Goy. Uh, Boyce Blanc, Judy the Lady Pug, just because. And just because Bob says we need a Zell update on what's going on in Utah. I asked them about that. They said they should be ready with something soon. So uh, no worries on that end. It will be. Uh, it will be so. I am releasing the scratching. I'm release. I I think I am. Come on. Release the scratching. There you go. Scratching has been released, the scratch-offs. I guess we'll do reoccurring dreams on Thursday. There's just too much in this one, and I could not get it together. But we did a lot. Thank you, everybody, on Rumble. Thank you, everybody, on Theta, on QuiteFrankly.tv, on Twitch, on DLive, on YouTube, on Rockfin. It has been another wonderful uh, pleasure to be here with you all, and I hope that you've enjoyed yourself as much as I have, or at least a little bit as I have. I'll see you tomorrow, 7 o'clock. And uh, don't be late. That's all I got for you.
Good night. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, Oratorio72, Doc Keck, Stostube, Orion's Dad, and Captain Castiron. Thank you guys and gals for everything. I will see you soon, and uh, take care of yourself. Nighty night. turkey this house, huh? What? I bust my ass all day long and I come home and want a little smoked turkey. Is that too fucking much to ask? What the fuck is your problem? Everything but fucking turkey in here.